thank you so much. Um, I wish I you know, could say, say that to Pastor Jim and the rest of the pastors, Pastor James, Pastor Ralph, Pastor Maureen. Thank you for having me. Um, I, am, I am excited to be here. Um, this is our last class for the prayer training. So we'll get into that in just a minute. I just want to pray, um, not just for the message, but for me, because again, you know, that the nerves set in and I'm feeling a little uh, overwhelmed sometimes, but uh, it's been a good day. Summer's been good so far, right? It's been a good summer, yeah. So thank you for coming out tonight. I appreciate you. I appreciate our church family. Um, we always say that our church, the friends we have at church are definitely our church family, our family, um, not just church family, but um, our friends here are important to us. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Cami and the team in the back. Um, they work diligently through my faux pas and my errors, getting all the information that they need to get everything on the screen. So if, everything, if, if there's something that seems amiss or I'm reading something that is a little bit of a different translation, it's my fault, not theirs. Um, they've done uh, nothing short of miraculous to get the stuff done. So thank you, Cami. Thank you for all the guys in the back. Um, all right, so let's just give this time to the Lord. Father God, I just thank you. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to share uh, what you've put on my heart, what you've put on the hearts of those who are uh, teaching these classes. I thank you, Lord God, for your uh, for Holy Spirit that just comes and speaks through me, that your message would be clear, um, that the least amount of the filter uh, that comes through me would be there so that everything would come and uh, those who have ears to hear would hear, Father God, what you're saying to them and what you're saying to us in this hour and for today. And I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Um, there's something else that came to mind. It'll come back. Okay. So just to recap a little bit, we've gotten, this is our fourth class uh, or fourth week that we're doing prayer training. Um, last week, Jane spoke about decrees and declarations. And if you weren't here, you missed an awesome time. Um, Jane is dynamic and uh, passionate in all she says and does. So that was, it was exciting to hear that message. The week before, Cynthia brought us through the keys to help us in prayer. Anybody remember what the main or master key was, if you were here. We have to bind and loose. It was binding and loosing, those things that we need to do to uh, bind up the, the negative or the demonic and loose what God would do or the, the, uh, the positive. Um, so binding and loosing are what we're commanded to do when we need to pray through things that we see that are not God's what God wants done, we're going to bind something and we're going to say, you can't have this. We're going to bind whatever that spirit is or whatever that thing is that's going on. And we're, then we're going to loose whatever God says or the solution to that. Um, the first week, Jim taught us how to pray in the way that Jesus modeled for us, the way that Jesus um, taught his disciples. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that um, to get into our topic tonight. We're going to talk about authority in prayer or authority as a believer in prayer. So there is a handout, and if I, if I seem like I'm missing something, just like give me a wave and I'll, uh, I'll see if I can remember what the answers are. But uh, hopefully we'll get them as we go. 
okay? So authority in Christ, it's based on several things that uh, Jesus taught his disciples, and we're going to touch on those things. Those things are relationship, uh, belief or faith, which we're going to put in the same category, and identity. Um, each one could be a topic or a whole nother study in and of itself. We're going to talk about identity this Friday at our Kairos night. Um, so if you're able to come out to that, I'm excited about that one too. Um, so prayer is one of the most important things that Jesus gave us to do before he left this earth. Um, it was not only the most important thing that he did while he was here, but it was also something that the disciples realized that it was extremely important. And it's actually the only thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them before he was crucified. Um, he taught them numerous things, but this is one thing that was extremely important. Um, so I'm just going to go back. I see number one, the master key in prayer is binding and loosing, if you haven't put that in. And last week we learned about uh, decreeing and declaring. Okay, so, so studying different stories in the New Testament this week, you know, every once in a while I'll, I'll have a teaching put together and then I go back and I, I kind of tweak it because God's talking to me at the moment and I don't want to ever rely on things from the past, but I want to make sure that what I'm saying is relevant to right now for today. Um, and the importance and the responsibility of prayer has, was, has been a thing that we emphasize here at Grace and Peace, but it's something that came alive to me more even this week. Um, the disciples asked Jesus to pray in Matthew and in Mark, um, and it was, you know, Lord, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples. And in uh, Matthew, it gave a little bit more detail. It says, uh, Matthew 6, this is not on the list. I did not put this on the list because came, this came in the past couple days. Um, but when you pray, go into your inmost or private room, close the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. And that in the open, for me, I believe was what God was speaking to my heart as I read that, was that in the open, God's going to answer your prayers. You're going to pray in secret. You're going to spend all this time with God the Father, and you're going to have a dialogue with him that nobody else knows about. And then he's going to answer a prayer somewhere else that you've been praying about, and you might be the only one who knows that it's answered, which is okay because it's all between you and God. It's that vertical relationship with God. Um, but Jesus didn't just tell the disciples how to pray. He told them how not to pray. He said, don't keep multiplying your words. Don't talk and talk and talk and talk. Don't repeat the same ones over and over again. Um, be, because the, the volume of words, the quantity of words is not what's, what's going to make your prayers get answered. It's your heart motive and God's will in that matter. So Jesus then gave them the model of prayer, the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, um, to be able to pray. And Jim did a great job talking about that the first week. Prayer was something that the disciples saw Jesus do or go away and do throughout the entire time that they were with him. It was something he modeled daily. Many times in the, the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus went, uh, went to an uh, uh, a place away from the disciples. He went up to a mountain. He went somewhere alone. 
very often the disciples saw him go. They knew what he was doing, but sometimes they didn't always get to hear what he said. There were other times that's recorded in the New Testament that is recorded what he said. But they knew that every time he went away by himself and he prayed to the Father that when he came back, a situation was going to be different or he or they will be different. Something changed when he came back from those prayer times. They knew by experience because they watched him do this for three years. His communication with God the Father was the most important thing that he had. And it was a communication. It wasn't a monologue. He didn't sort out or, or list his agenda. He actually had a conversation with God the Father. Now remember, Jesus is not only uh, the Son of God, he is the Son of Man, which means Son of God, he's fully God. Son of uh, Man, he's fully human. So everything he did is modeled for us that we as human beings can do. We can't, we, we shouldn't uh, look at Jesus and say, well, he was God, that's why that happened. No, Jesus stepped out of his godliness, he, or his, actually his position as the son of God in heaven and became fully human. He decided and gave up all of that glory, honor, everything that he had in heaven, he left it there. And he came here fully human. So he was a man like us. I know the Old Testament says Elijah was, you know, or the New Testament says that Elijah was a man like us. Jesus was a man like us. He has to have been. Otherwise, what he's telling us to do in the Christian life is totally out of our reach because then he did it as God. If he did it as God, we can't do it. It's impossible. He did it as a human he did it as a man so that we know that we can walk in his steps and we can model our life after him. And I'm getting totally off. Um, so Jesus had intimacy or an intimate relationship with the, the disciples. They were, he had close friends within the group of 12. He had a few more or, you know, three that were very close to him. Um, but because uh, he called them friends, and he told them this. He says, you're no longer servants. You are now friends. So I'm going to let you in on all the secrets and the mysteries that I would talk about in parables, that I would pray about to the Father. I'm going to let you in on all the stuff. He's, I'm going to let you in behind the scenes. So he's giving the disciples a level of intimacy that actually changed their identities. Let's think about that just for a second. He called them some of them as, um, you know, fishermen, tax collectors. He called them. They dropped everything to follow him. They were with him for three years. But as he's teaching and discipling them, they are changing because they are in the presence of Christ the Messiah. Just like when we are in God's presence, we are changed. So their identities are now not what they were. They're becoming new. Um, but, and because of that, because of that intimate relationship with, that he had with them, he, and their identities changed, they became new in Christ, he could give them the authority. He could trust them with the authority that God gave him. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So something that kind of just dropped in my 
my spirit this week is um, to, the, to the degree, I'm going to see if I can say this right, to the degree or the level that you have an intimate relationship with God, the Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, you will have that level in your authority in Christ, which gives you, I'm sorry, I'm going to start again. To the degree or the level at which you have an intimate relationship with Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, you will have that same level in your identity in Christ, that intimacy there, which gives you your authority in the spirit realm. So the level of your relationship with God the Father affirms your identity in Christ and then allows you by faith to move out in the authority that he's given us, okay? So let's dig into the authority. Authority is uh, it's a word that's been translated in other translations as power and dominion. Um, it actually is the power to act. It's the authority or the weight of something, either moral authority, spiritual authority, or earthly authority. And it has to do with being, uh, it's a right or a privilege. It is not something that is um, necessarily gifted. It is a privilege that sometimes we need to work into if we're in the earthly realm, okay? But God gives it to us because we are sons and daughters of the Father. Um, authority can be conferred or delegated, which means that if it's delegated, you have a jurisdiction. You have a, a, a sphere of influence. Um, another word that's used, a Greek word, is called metron, which means your circle of influence, that place that you have, that you have some sort of um, power or authority. So it could be your home, it could be your job, it could be your church, it could be just with your friends or in your family. Excuse me. In Strong's Concordance, the word is exousia, and it's delegated power and refers to the authority that God gives to the saints, authorizing them to act to the extent that they are guided by their faith. Okay, and that's from Strong's. That has nothing to do with what I said before, but it works together. You're working with your faith in the authority that God gives you. So Jesus often said to his disciples, like Jane said last week, to speak to situations, say something out loud. We've been hearing over the past three weeks that we need to say something. We need to use our voice. We need to speak out into the atmosphere, not in our mind, not to ourselves. It's got to come out of our mouths. We need to speak out loud. So I want to give you an example of authority in the impossible. And it's in uh, Mark 11 and Matthew 21. And it's the story of the fig tree. So in Matthew uh, 21, 18, early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And if it's not, ooh, okay, yeah, I'm going to get to 21, 20. Um, he was on his way back to the city and he was hungry. He saw a fig tree by the road and went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. So he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the, the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the tree wither so quickly, they asked. So Jesus said to them, truly, which is a really important word that he says sometimes, 
He only says it once here, though. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what is done to the fig tree, but you can also say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it'll be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And in the Gospel of Mark, there's a corresponding uh, uh, account of that. And in verse 20 of Mark 11, it says, Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots, because the day before, Jesus had cursed it. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the tree you cursed is withered away. And Jesus said, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and does not doubt, but believes, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. So we've got two accounts of the same thing, that Jesus, um, he cursed a fig tree. Kind of harsh, right? He cursed it for bearing fruit. When we look into the story a little bit further, he cursed it for bearing, uh, for not bearing fruit even though it wasn't in season for the fruit of the fig. So the tree was not in the season of time that it should have been bearing fruit. Jesus expected fruit, and it wasn't there. So he cursed it. It withered and died. Was he being unreasonable? Was he being harsh? Sometimes the thought crossed my mind, was he being a diva? There's no fruit on the tree. I'm hungry. I need it now. Um, or, which is what I think is true, or was he showing us something about our lives here and now that applies to prayer? And I think that that's the key right there. So follow me on this. Nothing in the Word of God is written by chance. It's not written just to make us think, oh, that's a really cool story. I like that. Very nice. Let me move on. It's not to impress us with special things that are going on. Every word, every sentence, every story, every analogy has been given with a purpose, with intention by God through Holy Spirit to those who wrote it. So there's a purpose for each word. So in this case, what's the purpose? Jesus expected something impossible from a natural fig tree, regular tree. It's got leaves on it. It's growing. It Seemed like it was healthy. He expected something that wasn't there. So how about if Jesus expects the fruit of the impossible from us? Impossible to have fruit out of season for a fig tree? Maybe. But Jesus has given everything, given us everything we need for life and godliness. Should he not expect us to produce impossible fruit? We have everything that we need. We'll talk more about that. So he made us new creations with authority, and we'll go into that in a little bit. Um, okay, so now we're going to get into it. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. This is actually after the resurrection. But some doubted that was actually really him. Jesus came up and said to them, all authority, and the Amplified amplifies it and it gives you more words, says all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is talking about himself. 
He said, how much authority was given to him? All authority. He didn't get a little. He didn't get some of it. He didn't get a partial amount. He got all of it. And right there, right at that moment, after the resurrection, Jesus says to the disciples that he's going to give it to them. He's giving them all authority. While he was alive, he sent out 70 disciples to go and pray for people, heal the sick, raise the dead, and whatnot. Um, and they were ecstatic. This is Luke 10, 17 to 20. They were ecstatic that they were able to do miracles. When they came back and told him about it, he redirected them. Let's listen to that. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, almost disregarding what they said for the second, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. So now he's giving them um, an account of when he was in heaven and Lucifer fell and became Satan as we know him today. I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. He says, listen carefully, I have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, and the word nevertheless means in spite of that fact that I just told you, do not rejoice at this. Don't rejoice at what? Don't rejoice at the, fa at the fact that the, de the demons even respond to what you're saying. Don't make that your goal. But rejoice, Jesus says, that your names are recorded in heaven. Jesus put more weight on the fact that their names were in the book of life in heaven than, than they were casting out demons and doing miracles. His goal for us is to get ourselves in a place that we're saved and we're in an intimate relationship with him and the Father, as well as everyone around us. When Jesus says, listen carefully in this translation, basically he's saying, this is really important, you need to listen to it. In some translations, he'll say, truly, truly. He'll say it truly twice, makes it really important. Or he'll say, behold. And sometimes when I would read different translations, I would say, I would see the word behold with an exclamation point. When that happens, it should be like a glass of ice-cold water splashed on your face. Like, wake up, look at this, pay attention. I need you to look at this. I need you to get this. So it's very important when Jesus says, behold, or truly and truly. So pay attention to that. Back to authority. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us and drawn us to himself from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the, his beloved Son. That word dominion in other translations is translated as authority or power and dominion or domain. So I found that really interesting that in this verse, he's drawn us to himself out of the dominion or the power, out of the authority of the enemy, out of the, um, the basically the claws of the enemy into the, Jesus's kingdom. In Ephesians 6, we're told what our battle is against. A while back, Karen did um, a great message on the, uh, the armor of God. 
the Ephesians 6, 12 says, where uh, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly supernatural places. So what's the point of all that? The point I need you to see or to behold is this, is that after the resurrection, Jesus ascended, he left his apostles in charge. He left the earth, left the apostles in charge and told them to wait. Before he left, he gave them all power and authority to do God's work here on earth through Holy Spirit by asking the Father in his name. He gave back all of the power and authority to the apostles that Adam and Eve lost way back in the garden. God the Father, at the point of creation during that week, he gave Adam and Eve all authority, all dominion. He said, take dominion, be fruitful, multiply. He gave them that authority. They lost it when they sinned. They lost it when they ate of the forbidden fruit. So now that authority, that power, goes to those rulers of darkness, those principalities in the air, in our realm, meaning Satan, meaning all of his cohorts, meaning every demon. They gave that power that God gave to them, to the fallen angel, to Satan himself. But Jesus, crucified, died, rose again, gives that authority back to the apostles for them to do what God wanted done from the beginning. Holy Spirit filled the apostles and gave them that power to continue the work that they were supposed to do. And the early church was able to do greater works than Jesus did. Jesus never sent uh, handkerchiefs out to go heal somebody. The apostles did. The disciples that were, were praying for people did. Peter and Paul did. Peter's shadow healed somebody. Never happened when Jesus walked on the earth that we know about, that's recorded. They did greater works because Holy Spirit filled them. Now they are not only filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is coming upon them and moving. And Jesus would tell them while he was on earth, remember this is happening because the kingdom of God is near. That's happening now because the kingdom of God is near. That miracle happened. This person's delivered. That person's raised from the dead because the kingdom of God is near. That happened when the apostles went out, healed people, raised people from the dead. That'll happen when we get a, a grip on who we are in Christ, what our authority is in Christ, and our faith level rises and we take a risk and we see God move and heal somebody do a miracle, something happens that's totally extraordinary, the kingdom of God is moving in because we're taking that time to be who we are in Christ. Jesus gave his disciples and us all authority to do everything he did plus more. And I'd like to present or propose that authority in Christ and our indebtedness in Christ are two sides to the same coin. Because authority without identity, think about that, you have all authority, 
You can do whatever you want, but you don't know who you are, whether you're a Christian or not, that's going to mess you up. You're going to hesitate to do what you need to do, or you're going to do all the wrong things because you don't know who you are. You don't know what your purpose is. You don't know why you're doing what you're doing. You're just doing, going willy-nilly. So authority, the ability to do everything without knowing who you are can cause you to hesitate in your call, can cause you to hesitate in the mission that God gives you. But on the flip side, if you have identity or you think you know who you are or you think you know who you want to be and you're full of yourself and not God, if you're full of yourself and not Christ, you have identity but no authority, you're going to make a mess out of every situation that you're put into because you're not going to take... Um, you're not going to take advice. You're not going to take counsel. You're going to go full force like a steamroller. You're going to do whatever you think is right because you have a, a, a bigger view of yourself than you do of God. So we need both, and they both need to work together. Jesus gave us both. And our identity, not just our authority, have to be found in him. If our identity is found in anything else, we're going to veer off course. I know Pastor Wall told a story a long time ago. I don't even know what the sermon was, but I remember this account, that if, if you've got a rocket, you want to go to the moon, and your rocket is set up on the, the launch pad, and it's even a millimeter off in angle or trajectory, it will not hit the moon. It'll veer off so much because of the distance from here to the moon, 250,000 miles or something like that. So from here to there, this small increment will make a huge difference. So if we're not identifying with Christ in everything that we do and say, and we're um, compromising a little here, compromising a little there, or finding ourselves in error, not testing things, not, not uh, studying the word, making ourselves uh, sure of what we're supposed to know, then we're going to veer off course. And by the time we're way off, we're not going to realize how we got there. Sometimes it'll take a long time. Sometimes it happens quickly. Um, Okay, so Jesus knew that we needed reminders. He used to say to the, the, the disciples all the time, how long must I be with you? You know, how long shall I suffer you? And I can actually see him like shaking his head. How long do I have to be here with these people who don't have faith? They're not getting what I'm, I'm telling them. But he, he suffered long with the disciples, just the way he does with us. And we thank God that he's like that because we're always having to go back and redo sometimes things that we know we should have done or do them differently, do them the way Jesus would have done them. Um, again, I'll reference Pastor Walt. He used to use the analogy of a, a policeman to illustrate authority. And I didn't bring my badge tonight. I forgot my badge. Um, he would say, stop in the name of the law to illustrate that a policeman can just hold up a badge or by wearing his badge, all he had to do was put up his hand and a truck would stop. Dump truck, 18-wheeler, whatever it was. 
the policeman didn't have the power to stop the truck, he would get flattened if the truck kept going. But because of who he was, because of the uniform that he had on and the badge that he had, that truck would stop. So policemen can, uh, you know, figure out where the traffic's going. They can find bad guys and bring them into the station, put them in jail. And sometimes they needed, they needed power, which was their pistol or their gun in order to keep things the way they should be. But a policeman does not have the authority to just go build a house or put up a building somewhere, not even on his own property. He's got to do what? He's got to go get a permit, right? He's got to get a building permit from the township. He can't say to two people, you know, in his family, oh, you guys want to get married? Yeah, I'll marry you. He's got to get a certificate that says he can do that to make it legal. He has all authority in the jurisdiction of law and order in a civil arena, but he doesn't have that same authority in the township or maybe to marry somebody. So what's the point? The point is that authority at any level is delegated. It's given from one person or government to another to use within a specific sphere of influence. And authority can have limits. In the case of the policeman to stop traffic or bad guys, he needed further permit to go build a house or a certificate to marry somebody. So when we follow Jesus, we need to know what our authority is and where we have jurisdiction in order to carry out that authority. All kinds of authority, right? There's parental authority, there's teacher's authority, a manager has authority, pastors have authority, CEOs have authority, the President of the United States have authority, and each have their own sphere where their authority holds the weight that's been given, or the weight of the power that's been given to it by those who delegated it. What did Jesus say our jurisdiction was? Anybody just yell it out, what do you think our jurisdiction is? Think of the Great Commission. Our jurisdiction is the whole world. Jesus said, go into all the world, right? Of course, in order to do that, we need to have the faith in order to exercise that authority in that jurisdiction because it's a huge jurisdiction. But we can first start with ourselves. We can start with authority over ourselves. We can speak to ourselves. We can follow um, what Christ has laid out for us to do within ourselves. Then we can do that in our families. We can do that um, in, our, in our jobs. We can pray about things and speak to those things that are going on in our jobs. We've been given that authority by Jesus through his name, and we have the power to fulfill those things by encounters with Holy Spirit or with God himself. Encounters. What are encounters? Encounters with God. Th those times that you are in communication with God the Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and you feel that presence download. You feel that weightiness. You feel that heaviness, and you, you think, 
ooh, this is different. It happens a lot on Sunday mornings. We've been having great worship services um, where the, the Spirit of God just moves in and you can tangibly feel it. If you can't, I've told people, picture God in your mind. What does Jesus look like to you? Picture Jesus in your mind. Don't picture him, you know, dead on the cross because he's not there anymore. Picture him, like Revelation says, on a white horse, the crown, fire in his eyes. Picture a strong Jesus so that you can engage in worship and then that presence, that sensation, that Holy Spirit is there. God is there. There's something different. It, it's something that is so, um, I'm going to use the word addictive, because I feel like I always want to go back there. I want more of that. It's like something I can't get enough of. I'm, I'm satisfied with the, with the situation or the, the presence of God at the moment, but I want more than what I have. In that, in that presence, that's where we're changed. I heard someone say once that... Um, if you go into your prayer closet to pray and you come out and you're not different, you probably haven't prayed. You've just complained. So think about that. If you go in, you're going in, you're going and giving God your, your list of all your things that he needs to do for you. You come out and you're still as grumpy as you went in. There wasn't, prayer didn't happen. There wasn't an encounter with God because prayer is not giving God a list of things that he's got to do or complaining about things. Our prayer life needs to be a dialogue. We need to say something, God will speak back. Because God's talking all the time, we just don't hear him. It's almost like having a radio that's not tuned to the right station. We're not hearing that voice. When we hear that voice, there's nothing like it, nothing in the world like it. It, it, it fills your spirit, it fills your soul, it gives you that, that um, just an intense, overwhelming love, not only for God, but for everybody else you're praying for. And you, you feel different, you feel changed, you see things different, your perspective changes. Think about it. He's the creator of the universe. How can we sit in, in, you know, 15 minutes and have a conversation with him and not be changed? How can that happen? It can't happen. That's impossible. That means we haven't encountered him. So when we talk about encounters with Holy Spirit and God the Father, it changes us. It transforms us. It makes us into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm way off. Sorry. Okay. So a, uni uh, a policeman's uniform and badge are kind of the same as our armor that we put on, okay? If we wear the spiritual armor that God gave us, then we've got our helmet of salvation, our breastplate of righteousness, our belt of truth, um, our shoes for the gospel of peace, we've got our sword, and we've got our shield. We're ready to go. Anybody who sees that in the spirit realm, any demon who sees that will know exactly who you are. They'll know exactly where you're coming from and who you represent if you're walking in faith and if you're continuing in that relationship with God. As believers, we always need to mind, be in the mindset that we have authority over the devil. We have total 
full authority because Jesus gave us all authority, which means the devil has no authority. We have the authority now. We've got to remind ourselves, I got to remind myself daily sometimes when things happen and circumstances arise, like here I am like complaining about something and I'm, I'm like, oh, why didn't I just pray about it? Why didn't I just go talk to the Lord about it? We need to get that to be our first response, not just all the worry and all the fretting over things. We've got not only power of the devil over demons, over any dark dom domains or dominions, and we have power to overcome them. And it's not for just a few people. It's not just for those, you know, TV pastors. It's not for the famous pastors. It's not for just our pastors here. It's for all of us. Jesus gave us all power. He didn't give just that power, or I'm sorry, all authority. He didn't just give it to, to a few people. He gave it to every believer. So at the time of your conversion, you were given that authority. And at that time, you were made a new creation. And I looked into that word. I heard somebody say something. I heard somebody say that we are a prototype. And I thought, because we're a new creation, we're a prototype. So think of like... Uh, cars or appliances that are prototypes. They're not yet made. They're not yet a thing. They're not, you know, like Tesla when he made his cars. He had an electric car, but he had to make a, make a prototype. He had to make something that gave everybody a feel for like, this is what it's going to be like, an electric car. This is what it's going to do. This is what it can do. There was only one made, usually one or two prototypes. But we are like a prototype. We are a new species, never before created on earth when we come to be born again in Jesus Christ. Amen. We are made new and we inherit Jesus. We inherit his name. We inherit that authority. We inherit all the, the power. And who's behind that power and authority? God himself, creator of the universe. We're back to the creator of the universe that's behind all of the power and authority that we have. Romans 8.10 says, you're not in the flesh, you are not, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his in Christ. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so let's rephrase that, but if the Spirit of Him, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the Spirit who dwells in you. Christ is in us. Holy Spirit is in us. So let's think about it this way. This is my, my Elon Musk analogy here. So if you have a bank account that you never use, okay? Not everybody does, but if you do, um, you have a place that you can make uh, deposits and withdrawals. And say, just for the sake of argument, uh, your friend Elon Musk rings you up and, sa and deposits a billion dollars into your account, okay? But you didn't answer the phone. You didn't see the call come in. He's putting a billion dollars in your bank account. You have no idea it's there. You don't check it because you think it's an empty account. It's not an account you use regularly. 
So you are a billionaire, and you don't even know it. Billion dollars. Now let's suppose you're going through all your paperwork and you realize, oh, I have an empty account I haven't used. I think I'm going to go to the bank, I'm going to close that account. So you go to the, the account, uh, the bank, you sit down and the, the uh, nice lady there pulls up your account and she says, oh, okay, yeah, we'll close your account. Do you want your money in cash or check? And you're like, I don't have any cash in that account. I don't, I, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, no, yeah, she's going to show you the screen. And she's going to say, yeah, look here, you got a billion dollars in that account. You had no idea that you were a billionaire. Are you in disbelief? Are you stunned? Are you trying to think like, this is impossible, it couldn't be me, nobody would give me all that money? But it's there. So you don't close the account. Are you going to start to withdraw that? Are you going to use that? Maybe to fix your house, pay off your mortgage, buy a friend a car who doesn't have a car, pay off your parents' house. You're going to use that money. Of course you're going to do it. But when we, let's go back, let's start over. So now let's say your friend Elon Musk rings you up. Oh, and you're like, oh, it's Elon. I should answer this phone call. Yeah, hello, he says. Hey, I just deposited a billion dollars in your bank account. I just had some money laying around. Feel free to use it, but use it wisely. Hangs up. He's told you. Now you know it's there. Now you know you can use it. The second scenario is what happened to the apostles. Jesus gave them all authority, all power over the enemy and all darkness. They knew it. He told them. They were using it. They were cashing in and making withdrawals. They went ahead and used all of that billions, all the power and authority. They used it wisely when he was here on earth. They turned the world upside down after he was gone. They healed the sick, cast out, cast out demons, cleansed leopards raised the dead, and they, disciples, they discipled the nations of the known world at the time. Remember, we're, we're supposed to be strong in the power of his might, not our own. We can do the impossible because he said we can. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He knows, uh, we know who God, we know that God hears us. Am I reading this right? Mm, he knows God hears us. We are of God. He knows who God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, which is a whole nother teaching. Um, but I'm just going to go back into this verse because um, Pastor Walt again used to say, what's the therefore? Therefore, yes. And when the therefore is in the sentence, it really means that you can't understand what you just read until you read the verse before it. So let's do that. Let's go to 1 John 4, 1 through 3. It says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test 
the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know they are the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. John here is talking about the spirits of darkness and the demonic spirits. So the therefore that was in the verse wants us to make sure that we remember to be wise when we go and do what we need to do and know that there are spirits around that will try and undermine the body of Christ and that those spirits do it deceptively and cunningly. So he's trying to remind us that we need to be, what Jesus said, wise as serpents, yet gentle as doves. We need to be aware of those things and use the authority that we have. It's rightfully ours. It was given to us uh, in Christ to further God's kingdom. That's what it's for. We need to pull people out of the dominion of darkness, pull our world out of that darkness, and start speaking into the things that are happening all around us. Romans 6 said, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Um, further along, it says that uh, the death he died, he died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Christ died as us on the cross. He didn't just die for us. He died, died as us. He took on our sin and died as us. The entire crucifixion could have been us. When he was buried, he was buried as us. When he rose from the grave, he was resurrected as us. Think about the parallel to our baptism that we go through now. You're submerged in water, which is a symbol of death and the old life, or the flesh. When you come up out of the water, it's a symbol of new life. You're a new creation. You're a new life in Christ. Remember, we died with Christ, we rose with Christ. Now we need to live as Christ did. In the same way, Jesus said, ooh, uh, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And that's part of that Romans 6 verses. Um, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that we've heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in whom we believed, we were sealed in the Holy Spirit of promise, who's the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, this is Paul speaking, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul's praying that we receive wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God or of Jesus that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we might know what the hope of his calling is. What are the riches of the glory of his, his inheritance in the saints, our inheritance, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all the dominion of darkness. They are called principalities and power, all the might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he has put all things 
under his feet. He who? He, God the Father, has put all things under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. And he gave Jesus to be the head over all things in the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what things are under Jesus' feet? All things are under his feet, right? Everything, not some things, all things. This is our inheritance in Christ as well, and it's a gift from God. It's an unimaginably huge gift, more than we could possibly even try and, and describe now. And why did he give it that, give us that gift? He gave us this enormous gift to put all things under our feet because we're, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. All things are now under his feet, they're now under our feet. He's given us this huge gift of power and authority. Why? Because he's given us a huge assignment. He's given us an impossibly huge gift for an impossibly huge assignment. We need everything that he gives us in order to fulfill everything he's called us to do. In Ephesians 2, 6, it says, God raised us up together with him in Christ and seated us with him in Christ in heavenly places because we are already in Christ, so that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable and unsurpassed riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, so let's go back to 5.16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so. So here, in 2 Corinthians, I believe that Paul's actually saying that once we regarded Christ in a worldly way, we saw Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, from our natural eyes, but we no longer see him that way. Now we see him through spiritual eyes. And verse 17 says, <clears throat> therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, uh, this is, oh, wonderful, it's up there. I'm sorry. He is in Christ, that grafted in, we are grafted in, we are joined to him by faith in him as Savior. He is a new creation, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, previous moral and spiritual conditions, have passed away. Behold, new things have come because a spiritual awakening has happened to us when we became new creations. We have new life. We should be alive in him. We should have that joy. We should have that exuberance that Jesus gave to us at the beginning, at our first love. That verse 17 has that therefore, and we went back and read that we don't see Jesus now from a natural standpoint like we did before we got saved. We now see Jesus through spiritual eyes, the eyes of faith, the eyes of our understanding have been opened because Jesus did that for us, gave us that new life, that new creation. The New Testament also says that Christ's love compels us because we are convinced um, that one died for all and therefore, therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who should live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So all of those verses, all of that to say that Jesus died as us, 
We were crucified with him. We rose with him to say that that's part of our identity. That's who we are. And that that authority that he gave us is tied to who we are in Christ. They're intertwined. Our identity and our authority will determine how we function in life, what we do, what choices we make, where we go, what we say, who we hang out with, what kind of things that we might allow in our homes. When we as the church and individuals realize that the authority that belonged to Jesus or belongs to Jesus also belongs to us and it's available to us to put to use, it'll revolutionize our lives and we will then again turn the world upside down. It's our inheritance. It's our billion dollars in the bank and it's really there. The great part about it is that we can use it. The even better part about it is that God gives us an unlimited supply. Uh, remember we talked about Luke 10:19. Listen carefully, truly I say to you, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and um, that authority, that's your billion dollars. I give you power over all the enemy. That's your billion dollars and nothing will harm you. The New King James says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We've been given all that authority. If we don't do anything with it, nothing will get done. Some, one of our classes, it might have been Cynthia or Jane, said, God doesn't do anything, or not that he doesn't do anything. God wants to co-labor with us. He wants to work with us. He wants to partner with us. That's why we have a relationship with him. So anything that he wants to get done on earth, most of the time he chooses not to do it without us. He wants to work with us. And in order to do that, we've got to speak things out because it's all about relationship with Father God. It's all about who we are with him. We are seated at the right hand with Christ. We have all authority and power over the enemy. And as we pray the prayer of faith, we confess our sins and put into practice that effective, fervent prayer, we'll see situations change. We need to remember several things. We need to remember we need to pray or speak to God first before we act. We need to speak to things. We need to say things out loud to declare those things that God gave us to declare. And as we look back on the four weeks that we've, we've talked about prayer, we need to remember what was said in the first week. What hinders our prayers? Doubt will hinder our prayers, unbelief. I've heard people say that unbelief is almost um, like you're, you're stepping over the line into sin almost. If you know what Jesus did for you, if you're not believing, that's not a good thing. We can always ask, Lord, help my unbelief. I want to believe more. Help me do that more. Unforgiveness and selfishness and pride are also things that hinder our prayers. In order for our prayers to be effective, we have to have faith that they'll do what they'll say they do. 
We need to try and walk in righteousness in the Spirit. Ask Holy Spirit, help me to walk the the straight and narrow. And we need to be those who confess before God what we need to. David, King David said, search me, Lord, know my heart. Cleanse anything that's not good inside my heart. We need to make sure that we put into practice how to use the keys of faith, those binding and loosing in the spirit realm. And then we need to make sure that we declare out loud what needs to be uh, declared. We need to declare the solution to the problems, not tell God about the problems. Our authority has been given to us to do all the work that God's given us. If we're sick, we need to pray for ourselves first. If we need healing, we need to speak to our bodies. We need to speak to things and use that authority. We need to speak it out loud. Whatever you have need of, God has given you authority to speak to it and declare the situation done and good. We declare, oh, here's, this is, I was looking for this as I was going. Um, Just a little side note. Don't pray for things that God already gave you. Okay? God has given us a spirit of peace, just as an example. He is our peace. Holy Spirit gives us peace as a fruit. We already have it. Well, what happens when you get in that situation where you're like stressing and you have no peace and you're angst? So now you need to speak it into existence if you're not feeling it. So you're saying, I speak into my soul the peace of God. Holy Spirit, raise it up from inside me. Allow that peace that passes understanding to come and encompass my soul and my emotions that I can be effective in you. Don't ask God for peace. He he already gave it to you. It's like trying to sit in a chair you're already sitting in. You, You can't get in it anymore. You're already sitting. So instead of asking, declare it. Declare those things that you know you have. Declare those promises that God already gave you. So let me pray for you. Would you stand with me? Oh, Dawn's giving me a heads up. Did I, I guess I missed stuff. Did I miss stuff? Anything anybody wants on a handout to fill in? No. Okay. Thanks, so. Okay. I'm sorry if I, if I missed anything. Thank you. Oh, so Father God, creator of the universe, the one who was, who is, and is to come, Lord God. There is no one like you, Lord God. We give you all glory and honor and praise. Father, I ask that you would encounter us in our alone time with you. Help us to be transformed in your presence that you would bring us into deeper relationship with you, Lord. That Holy Spirit would also impart to us right here, right now, an actual full and comprehensive awareness, a knowing that we know that we know who we are in Christ and the authority and power that Christ has imparted to us. Father, help us to act on the promises that you've given us. Help us to cash the check 
for those promises. Help us to uh, make the withdrawal in the authority and power that you've given us and then encounter you again that we might put a deposit back, Father. Give us what we need, Lord God, in awareness of your promises, awareness of who we are, and awareness of who you are, Lord God, that we might fulfill the Great Commission, that we might fulfill every call and activity that you've given us to do, Father. Help us to be those who turn the world upside down as we walk out every promise in the power and authority that you've given us in Christ, Lord. Father, we pray all this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. We say amen.